Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Hey, we got some new live shows coming up in December. We're coming to the Pacific Northwest. Seattle, December 16th, live at Numos. Portland, December 17th, live at Mississippi Studios. Those tickets go on sale this Friday, August 26th. We've also got some other news. We're coming back to Washington, D.C. on October 29th. We're going to be doing a special Halloween edition at the Benson Ball Comedy Festival. That's at the D.C. Improv. Tickets for all of these can be found at cavecomedyradio.com slash live. We got links to every single show. So be sure to go there, get your tickets, and we'll see y'all fuckers when we come to town. Now enjoy today's episode. There's no place to escape to. This is the last talk. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? How's that? No, it's just just going up. That's good. That's good. Whoa. Whoa. Hello. I like it when the headphones are so loud, it's like Ben is living inside of my brain. That's the only way to make me focus. <laughs> Gasol, wake up! Oh, Gasol! Oh. We're doing a television show, oh. but it's for the radio! Oh. Um, are we ready to go? Yeah. All right, welcome to the last podcast. On the left, everyone, I am Ben Kissel. That's Marcus Parks. I can't believe you only got me an Alfa Romeo. It's a piece of shit, Dad. What do you Everybody mean? looks at it, and they say, why isn't it a Porsche? And I said, I got a magic wand from a witch at the fair, and and I've been mm. waving it over the hood, but it's not becoming a Porsche. And I think I blew two thousand dollars on this magic wand that I gave to this, I bought from this witch. H Bone Zabrowski's <laughs> dropping hints. We're talking about spoiled douchebags today. Some of the most famous spoiled douchebags of all time: the Menendez brothers. Oh man! Again, an example. Ugh. If you have a child, beat it. They Hit are- it. God, they're gonna murder you unless you properly break their spirit or lift them up. You know what my parents did to me? Remember the Reebok pump? You know what I got? The Spalding pump. They gave me the pump, but they gave me the one I didn't want. I was mocked forever for two years, but I learned humility. Well, Lal and Eric Menendez were a pair of extremely rich pieces of shit Mm. who cold-bloodedly murdered their parents on August 20th, 1989 in an attempt to claim an inheritance of $14 million. Yeah. Well, the brothers used two Mossberg 12-gauge pump-action shotguns to shoot their mother and father eight and five times, respectively. Thank you. As they were dozing on their couch in their Beverly Hills mansion. No, you say dozing on their couch. You mean they were rifling through their many guns guns in order to kill their children, which is why they had to shoot them. Exactly. During the subsequent trial, the brothers would claim that they killed their parents in self-defense because of years of mental and sexual abuse and that they feared for their lives after Lyle had stood up to his father about the abuse after a cascading series of events that began with a toupee. Huh. In, other, in other words, this is going to be one of the sillier murder cases we've ever covered. It's really true. Really? And then once you, we found out that Lyle had a toupee, now when I look at Lyle, because everyone was talking about Lyle's toupee, they're like, yeah. that's got to be one of the most expensive, professionally made toupees I've ever seen because it's absolutely uh, unbelievable, seamless, completely seamless. Yeah. And I was like, but I look at it and I'm like, he's wearing a toupee. 
And I mean, how young? I didn't realize that people under 50 could wear a toupee. Yeah, apparently he lost all his hair at 14 years old. No one knows why. Stress. <laughs> Lunatic. His dad was not a good dad. No, he wasn't. We'll get into that. Yeah. A lot of the information contained in these episodes comes from a pair of fantastic articles written for Vanity Fair by a writer named Dominique Dunn, who was recently portrayed in The People vs. O.J. Simpson by the guy who played Cooper in Mad Men. Oh. Also, also, Dominique Dunn was the father of uh, the girl from the Polter from Poltergeist that got murdered. Cool. Oh, wow. And he didn't do that, right? No, absolutely not. He didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the guy's got a fascinating story. He's a great true crime author. I definitely recommend getting into him. Question. You're saying Dominique Dunn. Yeah. I think Dominique Dunn was in a couple of softcore porn <laughs> films. I'm pretty certain. Yeah. It's Dominic Dunn. Right? Oh, yeah. Do Do Dominique Dunn, D-O-N-E. Yes, yes, that's yes. right. I remember those pornos. Excuse me, Dominic. Yes, because yeah. I think Dominique Dunn is a nude actress. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into the background of the Menendez family. Jose, the father of the Menendez brothers, was a Cuban immigrant who was sent to America at the age of 16 by his parents following Fidel Castro's coup. He arrived with not a penny to his name and no knowledge of the English language. But after only two years, Jose had learned enough English to attend Southern Illinois University where he met his wife, Kitty, a local beauty queen five years his senior. And if we know anything about the people of Illinois, they know the English language perfectly. Sausage? Sausage. Fuck! Yeah. He nailed both of those and you're like, you're in Southern Illinois University. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Um, you know what's also, I always find that there's two types of Cubans. You got Castro's and you got the guy from Mambo Number no. 5. <laughs> those are the Lou two Vegas. guys. That's it. And so Lou was, Vega was German. No. Yes. He totally was. Yeah. No, he oh, the, he's a, one of us. Uh, <laughs> Mambo number five. No. No, dude, you're thinking Castro's and Babaloo's. No, I'm thinking Lou Bega. No, Lou Bega, <laughs> my if, friend. If Lou Bega was German, yes. he was more Cuban than any Cuban who's ever been. <laughs> well, that's possible. <laughs> well, after years of immigrant-style hard work and determination on the part of Jose, he eventually became a multi-millionaire. How does one do this? Because hmm. I was born here, and we're still working semi-hard. But where <laughs> yes. are the millions? We didn't go to the right university, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, we didn't go to Southern Illinois University. Mm. That's, that's a good one. What's the What's the name of the? Uh, are they like the hot dogs? <laughs> yeah, like I think they're called the Rumpled Sweaters. Oh, I love their basketball team. <laughs> well, Jose worked various high-powered corporate jobs throughout the years, eventually landing a job as an executive at the then-struggling RCA Records, where he tried to turn things around by signing bands like the Arrhythmics and Jefferson Starship. Ooh, man, but, the heat power in that. <laughs> but not even we built this city would be enough to keep Joe at RCA. RCA, for he mm. soon moved to a position at Live Entertainment, best known for their subsidiary, Coralco Pictures. Wow. Coralco produced a lot of big hits over the years, including the first two Rambo movies, Fuck yeah. Total yeah. Recall, Ooh. and Terminator 2. No shit! Yeah, before finally being sunk by the Matthew Modine, Gina Davis vehicle, Cutthroat Island, and... Showgirls. Idiot. What? Modine and Gina Davis took him down? <laughs> I'm really Showgirl, Showgirls was not nearly as bad as everyone made it out to be, by the way. Showgirls yeah. is very entertaining. It's funny. And it has an incredible sex scene uh, with, uh, what's his name? Uh, not Kyle, Matt, it, Kyle McLaughlin? Kyle McLaughlin mm. and Elizabeth Berkeley in the pool where she's just like slamming his dick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty great. She ain't Jesse Spano anymore. <laughs> no, now it's for Jesse Spunko. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh. No, it's somewhat difficult to get an accurate portrait of Jose Menendez. Some say that his death was devastating to those around the office at Coralco, that they adored him, they mourned him when he was gone, but others describe him as a grade A asshole. Yeah. I think it, that's actually probably closer to the truth. That's probably closer mm -hmm. to the truth. It seems like those who worked with him loved him, but those that worked for him despised him to the point where when he was murdered, it was joked around the office that it was probably one of his employees that did it. A lot of people had motives to kill him. He crushed everybody in order mm -hmm. to get to the top. He stepped over a bunch of people. He was ruthless, which is why his bosses loved him. He never stopped working. Mm -hmm. He worked 24-7. It's like he brought his work home 
film and also in the entertainment industry, there is a sort of uh, there's you get points totally. for never stopping working. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you literally look as a guy who's constantly busy. It's a part of your appearance. Mm -hmm. You have to appear to be very successful, and then eventually you become successful, especially in Los Angeles. Well, and then you have the ego of the people that you propped up to success. So they'd be like, "I made the arrhythmics. I'm the one. Them the reason they're famous. I know Annie Lennox. I am basically Annie Lennox." You know what's really funny about the arrhythmics is that rhythms in the name of the band. Yeah, that was my idea. I don't know why that turned like very record producing. <laughs> That's what they do. Frankie Sharp, Sharp Records. Yeah. <laughs> Bunch of dickheads. Well, Jose, he humiliated people in meetings. He loved nothing more than firing people and just could not wait for Christmas to come around so he could threaten to take away bonuses <sighs> just to see people jump. What other pleasures do you have as the boss besides making the little ones jump <laughs> after you you've to... crushed everyone to get there? Th that's right. I mean, like the musician, you have the ego, but you don't have the crowd to entertain. So this is the only way to be fulfilled. And you know I'm powerful. And, and, and uh, that's the only way to get that gratification. Yeah. Craig, you're from accounting. It's lovely to see you. I love you to make it to this meeting. Now, this is oh, Tommy. Yeah. He is from uh, he is from R&D. He's having a good time. He's like, I've been working here for 10 years. You never once said my name before. Uh, you know, you know what? Tom. My name's Tommy. I don't really care. <laughs> What's going to happen here is we're going to do a fun little thing. Is you guys are going to blow each other. And the first one to shoot his <laughs> load loses <laughs> and gets fired. So do you have to blow the other one longer and least pleasurably for as long as humanly possible until one of you blows and the first one that blows gets fired. So, so you're going to call me Greg while he does it or Tom? My name is Tom. Uh, your new name is Dog Boy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, this guy was also unfaithful to his wife and had a mistress for eight years along with a series of in-and-out girlfriends. One business associate was quoted in the Vanity Fair article as saying, Jose would fuck an umbrella. What does that even mean, and how is it even possible? Wouldn't the umbrella fuck you? You know who would really enjoy that? Albert Fish. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> Good Lord, he didn't even think about that. You mean to tell me that uh, the, the when you put the umbrella up inside of the... Kiwi. It gets bigger when you open a switch. Uh, yeah, five dollar umbrellas here. Five dollars. Oh, just move on, sir. Five dollar. <laughs> well, not surprisingly, the Menendez family motto that was instilled in the Menendez brothers from birth was "Cheat, steal, lie, but win." Are they like Eddie Guerrero from the WWE? It's exactly <laughs> yeah. what his motto was. <laughs> and he was no less of an asshole to his sons, or so some say. I mean, he was definitely an asshole to his Had sons. To be. Yeah, he was definitely. But the boys became avid tennis players uh, as his father... <laughs> douchebag sports. <laughs> Such douchebag. Yep, their father pushed them into sports that didn't require teamwork. He thought that it would make it easier to fuck people over yeah. when it came time for them to enter the business world. He also had mm -hmm. a very weird sense of uh, direction and uh, commitment where he would say you, to the boys they could choose one sport and they have to get good at one sport because they have to be experts in it and to a point where if he walked, if he looked out his window and saw him playing like if he, there was a story where you looked out Lyle <clears throat> wanted to get into swimming Mm. He looked out the window and saw Lyle was playing soccer with all the boys. He comes out of the house. He's like, Lyle, come up here. He has all the boys stand there as he dresses them down, saying, you're going to swim just like your grandmother used to swim, because his grandmother was a champion swimmer huh. in Cuba. And literally, he was just like, you're going to swim because you got to choose one sport, and you get to play other sports. You choose one. You do one. And while you're out here playing soccer, you should be doing laps in the pool. Well, that's really where Castro's regime began to make a major mistake, Major, major made a major mistake, allowing them to swim. <laughs> That's the only way off that damn island. That's a and you wonder why they're getting so good at swimming. Gee, it's like they desperately want to escape my regime. Well, one of Lyle's tennis coaches uh, actually testified in their trial about the father. We've got a clip from that tennis coach right here. He was the harshest person I'd ever met. What was wrong, in your opinion, with the way that Jose Menendez wanted these kids coached i thought it was cruel because they had to physically suffer why did you continue to coach them if so much that you didn't approve of was going on because i cared for them that's the opposite I, that's I the op about all they had even jose that's opposite that's opposite of how that works <laughs> that's how <laughs> yeah. you should know you should have stopped you should have stopped it and just taken care of it 
Yeah, it sounds like they got a tennis co- a, a tennis coach. They hired a tennis coach with no backbone whatsoever. He sounds like he's a broken man, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, they, we're also going to find that about Dr. Ozeal, their therapist, it's the same way. Is that the father searched out people <clears> that <throat> would he would throw money at and be like, you're not only going to w- train my sons right. or be a therapist to my sons, but you're also going to do exa- do it the way I'm going to do it. Like, he would walk out on the courts as he was playing. The, the tennis coach was teaching them how to play tennis. He would walk out onto the courts being like, you're doing it right. Wrong and yell at everybody and then leave because he he's a, a a great producer. He's a maniac. <laughs> That's yeah. what Marcus is going to do with his kids. That you have to do produce the family. Yeah. Oh, I see. Always. And oh, that's good. And I might even do what Jose did. What Jose did to his kids, he hosted motivational seminars for his children. Marcus, now you know you cannot do that with your children because if it wasn't for your loving mother, you would have been a serial killer. Yes. Like, we are all sort of on a string here. Yes. If we didn't get, like, one hug. If our parents didn't give us, like, if we were missing one hug on a Saturday, some random day back in 1987, we might all be in jail right now. As a matter of fact, we might be in jail right now when this is all a figment of our imagination. I actually think that that's the truth. Uh, I think that if I didn't get that Ghostbusters firehouse, I'm pretty certain that's the key, that if I did not get that, I would be a, a professional arson. And now imagine getting it, and then your father would be like, and this is how you play Ghostbusters. <laughs> now, nah, Pickle Girlfriend works with kids. She'll make up, she'll pick up the slack from me being a fuck up. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Always depend on someone else. <laughs> uh, but the, the therapist, when he paid the therapist, he tossed money. The therapist, he found the, fir- the, the Dr. Ozeal was the only one that would be like, you're going to, they're going to tell you secrets, and you're going to tell me all the secrets they tell you. So I know Ugh. everything that goes on inside of their brains. Yeah, terrible shit. Awful, yeah. Yeah. But. Others, particularly those on Eric and Lyle's mother's side of the family, said that Jose, instead of being such a tyrant, let them get away with too much. That he never Mm. disciplined them and gave them everything they wanted. And really, the truth is probably somewhere in between. For example, what Henry was saying Mm. earlier about the Porsche and the Alfa Romero, that actually happened. Right. He got, Lyle got an Alfa Romero to, an Alfa Romero to go to Princeton in, Mm. and he he got pissed off because he wanted a Porsche. And maybe not so coincidentally, right after he killed his father, you know the first thing he bought after the Rolexes? A fucking Porsche. Yeah, because oh. that's the thing. is The first thing they did is they both each bought two $9,000 Rolexes because they needed something to match their funeral suit. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you want to look good on the day that you uh, go to the funeral of the parents you just killed. <laughs> and as far as the mother went, her life and demeanor is even more muddled than Jose's. We don't know anything about her. We know very, very little about her. Uh, a neighbor who, I might add, sounds like a typical Beverly Hills fucking snot job, said that sh- that uh, fucking the mother had messy hair that needed a bleach job. Ugh. She wore sweatpants to PTA meetings and had, quote, a noticeable smell. I was never able to identify and I'm pretty certain it was hand lotion. <laughs> wow, disgusting. Disgusting. I have to agree with the neighbor when it comes to the sweatpants at the PTA meeting. You come gotta on. dress up just a little bit. This is Beverly Hills. Even a Spanx. <laughs> All right, wear something. Because this is the thing. He, they fought their way up. They lived in Jersey. They left Jersey. They lived in Princeton, New Jersey, which is why he was obsessed with Princeton and getting his sons to go to Princeton. They moved to Beverly Hills in order to be like, we're rich and we're going to show everybody how rich we are. And hmm. in Beverly Hills, which is really interesting, their house was notoriously tacky. The inside was, oh, was yeah. cheaply decorated. And they that's so interesting that the first thing a neighbor would say, they're like, describe this woman and she said messy hair <laughs> and it's like that's yeah. got how messy is your hair number one mm. that that's the first thing that someone says about you i think they just didn't have anything else to go on i guess so they just knew she had kind of messy hair yeah i, I mean it sounds like that uh, her family says that she was a very private woman uh that she'd really had no friends she didn't really talk to anybody but lyle and mm. eric's defense team who were Experts at character assassination portrayed her as a bad mother. Uh, and they, do, they pulled some shit. When we yeah. go into the trial in the next episode, <clears> the <throat> stories that Lyle and Eric spin about their house make it sound like they were Henry Lee Lucas. Like mm. they sound like they lived in squalor and insanity. And it's it's yeah. crazy. They just sold their mother down the river so hard. 
Well, they already killed her. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's when you send her down the river, I guess. Man, yeah. they shot her so many times. And then when they weren't, when they, in the very end, they just blew her face off. I yeah. can't wait to get into it. But I mean, it does seem like a house that had too much linoleum. Linoleum? <laughs> linoleum? <laughs> linoleum. It definitely had wood paneling as well. Yeah. Yeah. They said she was a frighteningly dangerous driver <laughs> and that the floors of the house were covered constantly in dog shit and ferret feces. If you have a ferret, yeah. you're going to get a lot of piles of ferret shit all yeah. over the house because they're sneaky animals. They're weasels. Yeah. Well, you got to hire somebody for ferret duty. Yeah. All it takes is one maid whose job it is is to take care of the ferret Ugh. stuff. You got the money. You dress her up as a ferret. You have her run around. She gains the other ferret's trust. She teaches them how to use the toilet. That could work. That could work. How many of our, what percentage of our listeners are cuddling a ferret as they listen to this it's episode? It's just wild around. your fucking nipples. I feel like ferrets would go for your nipples all the time. Apparently, ferrets are unbelievably smart creatures. They can learn and they can they can use a typewriter. They're filthy. Yeah, they're like they're yeah. Yeah, the ferret feces were mostly localized to the area underneath Jose and Kitty's bed, a place Lyle said he was forced to sleep when he was bad. Oh, I forgot that he was Annie. <laughs> mm, poor kid. At the age of 14, Lyle was supposedly still wetting his bed, and when he had an accident, he said his mother would pile his urine-soaked sheets on the kitchen table so the brothers would have to eat breakfast in their presence. I mean, you know what? This kid, he's balding. He's pissing himself. These parents have all the money in the world, but quite frankly, their problems are real. I actually like, do You have think a doy-doy kid. This is, really, <laughs> this is probably rough to say. Right, but Jose Menendez looked at his son that was doing this. He's bald. He's wet in his pants, right. and he's like, "I came from Cuba in right. a fucking raft, penniless, I built, penniless. Did not had to teach myself English. Had to build myself up. I had to crush other men yeah. to get to this point. And I'm looking yeah. at my my kid who looks like Burgess Meredith, <laughs> but as a middle schooler. I love Burgess. Love him. Yeah. God rest. God rest his soul. Best penguin ever. I uh, love him. Um. And you gotta say, he wants to just strangle that out of him. Yeah. He, he wants to make him a Cuban dictator. He wants to move him from a Vega to a Castro. You know, I mean, my father was a, uh, you know, my father was an immigrant as well, and there is something about immigrant parents. They really are like, the American dream must be achieved, and they don't know how to really get it, and they do sometimes rely on extreme physical abuse. And again, urine-soaked sheets in the middle of the breakfast table kind of sounds like Albert Fish like wedding decorations. <laughs> it really really does. <laughs> yeah, they also said uh, that uh, the mother murdered Eric's pet rabbit just because they didn't want it around anymore. Well, yeah, rabbits are horrible. Rabbits are terrible. He said that he found the rabbit dead in a garbage can with its head bashed in. And all of that terrible shit that we just said, that was all stuff that Eric and Lyle said on the stand. And these guys, it's very important to say right now, they are superb liars. Well, oh, Eric yeah. won uh, Best Actor at Beverly Hills High, right? Yeah, the same uh, high school that Beverly Hills 90210 was set. Really? Interesting. Yeah. I love Shannon Doherty. She's saucy, but I think she has a sweet spot inside of her, her heart. She, she's yeah. dying. She's dying? Yeah, of cancer. What? Yes. Why, why, why did you just tell me that on the air? <laughs> You're just going to blame me? You're going to blast me with that? Seriously, she's not doing well. We, we had like 500,000 listeners a week. You're going to blast me like that in public I'm like that? I'm just telling you, she's shriveling up. She's not doing very well. Shannon Doherty? Yeah, no. Jenny Garth, though, nice. <sighs> So technically, in their rivalry, she's winning. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Man, that's sad. So Kitty's sister-in-law, Marta Canto, who, by the way, rifled through Jose's office for insurance policies and financial statements before her brother was even in the fucking ground, mm. said that she heard Kitty encourage the Menendez brothers to lie. And she also had piles of dirty clothes all over her house. I mean, I would just love to hear the inner monologue of the woman rummaging through Jose Menendez's stuff. Be like, old dildo, old dildo, old dildo, new dildo, maybe some insurance policy. Yeah. But how do you tell old dildo, new dildo? Just the lick test. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another old dildo. Oh, God damn it. The only positive things that Marta Canto had to say about Kitty was that she was intelligent. She could move a Christmas tree from one side of the room to the other without any help. And she could put together a barbecue. Grill. Wow. All by herself. That's a that is big. And, and to think we're gonna have a woman president. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, it's all of the family sold their these dead people down the river as soon as they could get to the stand. Because 
what we're going to see later on oh. is that during the trial, all of these people come out of the woodwork to to defend the brothers and saying mm. that they were molested because they're all not going to get any money if right. they go to jail. If they go right. to jail, that money goes someplace else. It just yeah. kind of disappears into the world. The insurance companies get to keep it or some bullshit. I don't know how that shit works. No, but they are literally like, so they have to... They have to stick up for them oh. so that when they get out of jail, Eric and Lyle will toss them some cash. No, I actually do know what happens to that $14 million. It goes to the ferret. <laughs> yeah. And then the ferret is yeah, very happy ferret. Yeah. What are you going to do with all that new cash? Well, just give it to the ferret it, it, by law. Now, there was also a story that it, this one is actually somewhat corroborated. Not completely, but somewhat. The story was that Kitty thinking that Eric might be gay, she gave her son a six-month deadline to find a girlfriend, which he did, but not surprisingly, it didn't last very long. Great actor. Again, a fantastic actor, lovely singer, good hair, good skin, well-built. Bachelor? (laughs) Maybe for life. However, Kitty's actual family, uh, who seem to be the only even somewhat redeemable people in the story besides possibly Kitty herself, portrayed her as a very different type of person. It's even almost a sadder portrayal. I almost like the portrayal of her as a monster better than this portrayal, which is of a pitiful woman. Yeah, completely broken. Mm. Uh, The eight-year affair that Jose carried on, it it broke her in two. She was madly in love with this guy. Uh, And the defense claimed that Kitty, because of that affair, they claimed that uh, she confronted Jose's mistress outside of an office building here in New York and came real close to just clawing the woman's eyes out. See, they that's cool. That's kind of hot. Insane. I would yeah. like to see like my current girlfriend, like watching them fight the mistress and watch them win. Then you're like, I chose you. <laughs> yeah, but then you no, then she's just going to leave your ass anyway. But yeah, but then you got to see a cool fight. <laughs> they don't, you know, they don't like. It's not like a, a hot Burger King yeah, commercial where they fight, they fight like in a fountain, and then another guy comes in, yeah, and sprays him with a bunch of mayonnaise. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's how that works. Oh, okay. But the mistress herself said that Kitty actually just approached her on the sidewalk, cordially asked her if the affair was over. The mistress said, "Yes, it's over," and Kitty shook her hand and just walked away. Mm. Yeah, and punched her in the pussy. <laughs> yeah, you're allowed to do that one time. <laughs> in fact, Kitty's mental state was so fragile leading up to the murders that she had recently gone through a half-hearted suicide attempt with prescription pills and was seeing a therapist at the time of the murders. Mm. But it's possible that it was more than just her husband who was the cause of her problems as soon before the murders. Kitty told her therapist that she was afraid her sons were sociopaths, that they were narcissists, and that she felt that they lacked consciences or any empathy for other people whatsoever. I think that if... What yeah. we've seen from the history of, of parents <clears throat> watching their kids grow up to be serial killers, I think that that is probably right on the money. Where she yeah. looked at these kids and you could see the hollow eyes looking back. These are two little Millions. Yeah. They have no centers. They're both. They love money. They all. It's like when we covered the Christopher Porco story on the last stream on the <clears> left. <throat> all of they care. All they care about is is money mm. and and status and the appearance of power. Yeah, it seems like a perfect storm of events, too, right? Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, this is like a, you know, this is a, another soup. Like we talk about it again and again. Serial yeah. killer soup. This is a mother father murder soup right here. Mm. I mean, it was more. It's more of a flame and yawn. Yes, at least they got to be rich. You know. Yeah. Served in a silver terrine by a by a lovely Latina woman that you've <laughs> yes. paid to do it, and that brings us to the brothers themselves, Lyle and Eric Menendez. Mm. These guys were essentially the archetype of rich kid bullies, straight out of an '80s teen movie, with the one exception that they actually weren't very popular. I actually think most people like this aren't very popular because right. they're pieces of shit. Yeah, the, and you know the media made them out to be like these super attractive hunky type dudes, but in reality, I could see them very easily just gnawing on their own nails in the corner of the classroom only talking to each other in some sort of secret uh, verbiage. I hate twin talk. What is he saying to you? He's saying something about how, uh, I don't know, about how we should blow each other. (laughs) No, That's what people said is that these guys were just constantly up each other's asses at all times. The only friends they had were guys that were using them for their money, guys with names like Donovan and Craig. Well, Craig isn't the worst name of all time. Craig's Craig, not bad. Could be a Craig, working man named Craig. Craig from Beverly Hills High is a piece of shit. I'm going to have to stand up to Craig. I was for Craig. I, got, I like Craig. Technically, Craig is short.
short for Craigathy. <laughs> oh, well, then I don't like That's a Craigathy. A yeah. yeah, Craig from Pittsburgh's all right. Craig from okay. Beverly Hills is terrible. All right. So these guys, uh, Lyle was definitely the dominant brother who was being groomed, or at least his father was trying to groom him to take his place one day. He was going to be the heir to the Coralco Pictures throne. And then what he said, apparently, mm. the father said to Lyle that the only son that counts is the first son. Yeah. And he said that you're the one, you have to be like the father, like I wanted to be like my father. And that Eric was the throwaway son. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, overly sensitive. He was mm. weak. He was prone to bouts of crying. Uh, and the throwaway kid label definitely came into play when the brothers had their first run in with the law. In 1988, the year before for the murders, the brothers sold $100,000 in cash and jewels from a safe at the house of one of their friends. It was to be the first job of two, but when the friend who helped them out on the first job got cut out of the second job, he ratted on the Menendez brothers almost immediately. That's what oh, they yeah. didn't realize, that if you're going to fuck somebody over, you have you have to figure out how to neutralize them. Yeah. What you're gonna, they're going to learn later is you right. do it with shotguns. Oh, okay, I see. <laughs> but they didn't do it in this instance. But no, that, So that sort of makes sense that Eric is the actor and Lyle is the more serious one. Yeah, he's the more serious one. He's the man with the plan at all yeah. times. He's the Eric Harris of the two. Yeah. Yes, with yeah. his little toupee. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with Horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders... I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Emmy award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. <laughs> So Jose paid back the cash and returned the jewels and already writing off Eric as a loss made his youngest son take the rap completely so as to avoid putting a black mark on Lyle's record right before he was about to go to Princeton. <sighs> yeah. And if you think going to Princeton made Lyle any less of an asshole, 
You'd be wrong. Yeah, no well, shit. Yeah, How would that make anyone less of an asshole? Yeah, I've never heard of going to Princeton humbling people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Upon arriving at his dorm, Lyle found that while he had requested a private room, he found a roommate had already moved in. And instead mm. of being just a normal human being and making a phone call, Lyle threw all the roommate stuff out into the hall. And the RA who witnessed the whole thing said that Lyle had a, quote, I'll do what I want. When I want attitude. And this is mm. the most American we're going to see, Lyle, because that's sort of what we did to the Native Americans. <laughs> Isn't that something? Well, you know, I do understand him being upset, though. If you requested the single room at Princeton and there's some random vagabond in there. It's never a random vagabond. It's well, another rich person. Well, it's another wildly rich person. He was probably someone who was denied from Yale. <laughs> but fortunately for all of Princeton, Lyle was kicked out his freshman year for cheating on a Psych 101 lab and was sent back to California. But while Lyle was off in Princeton making life miserable for everyone around him. Eric was at home working on more creative pursuits. Nice. You see, I love a performer. Yeah. Because that's what it's about, is that if you can take your rage and you can take the thing that your daddy Mm -hmm. only bought you an Alfa Romeo instead of buying you a Porsche, the thing that you should do is write a screenplay. That's right. Take your rage to the stage. (laughs) Put it to the page. (laughs) That's that's good. In 1987, almost two years before the murders, Eric, along with his friend Craig, wrote a screenplay that they called Friends. Oh, that oh. later went on to become a very famous sitcom. Yes, it did. It did. <laughs> but it started as a story about a character named Hamilton Cromwell who cuts his parents' throats in order to inherit their fortune. That's weird. What a <laughs> weird coincidence. No, David Schwimmer was that character. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> yes. And where's the monkey in it? <laughs> I love that monkey. No, the main character, who, again, his name is Hamilton Cromwell. <sighs> I like that they were thinking, like, normal name. What's a normal name? Spitball some names out, Craig. Rutabaga. Okay. <laughs> All right, that's a fruit. That's a vegetable, rather. Let's go. Um, how about... Uh, Flash. Hump- Flash so- Ramirez. Oh, that's close. Humperdink Big Dick. Ah, Humperdink mm. Big Dick. Let's make it more American. George Flushington. <laughs> I love it. So Hamilton looked, acted, and talked just like Eric. This right here that we're about to read is from an L.A. Times article that sums up the plot nicely along with a little bit of dialogue from the screenplay. <laughs> Yay. The first scene opens with Cromwell reading the family will, which bestows a fortune of $157 million. Hamilton smiles sadistically, <laughs> the script states. Nice. The next scene opens with Cromwell poised outside his parents' bedroom door. The door opens, exposing the luxurious suite and Mr. and Mrs. Hamilton Cromwell lying in bed. Nice. Mm. Their faces are of questioning horror as Hamilton closes the door gently. Good evening, mother. Good evening, father. <laughs> His voice is of attempted compassion, but the hatred completely overwhelms him. Good evening, <laughs> mother. Good evening, father. <laughs> and then the scene fades. The actual murder is left to the audience's imagination, but a later scene shows Cromwell and his typewriter writing a book. Stage direction. Zoom camera to paper. It reads, Five Deaths to Perfection. Chapter 1. Mr. and Mrs. Jacob Cromwell. Next on Cromwell's list is a former girlfriend who he kills with a rope. Two more killings follow that one. And later, he kidnaps a friend, and Hamilton tells him, I am in the process of writing a masterpiece of a novel. A novel which challenges the complexity of human understanding. Let us call this a game of survival. I will frame either of you or your friend Joe for one, two murders. Mike, with frightened disgust. You're mad! Very good. <laughs> You're, you are mad! You've got the part, Ben. Do I have the part? You got it. Oh, hold on. Should I do it one, let's take do, it one more time. Do, do it one more time yeah. for safety. Let's do it. Yeah, 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 we got keep it, them all though. in. This we is all good. Like this. Yeah, yeah. We got this it. This is my big role here. Yeah, yeah. You're mad! <laughs> That's good. Very good. <laughs> now, when Cromwell is arrested for one murder, he quickly cows the police with an ironclad alibi. I was in the bathroom. <laughs> And in the end, after his five murder victims have been discovered frozen in ice in his basement, Cromwell is shot and killed by one of his friends. And he dies with a smile on his face. Later, sitting in court, 
Although I'm not sure why they still have a trial even after he's dead. Does that make sense? Uh, the friend listens to a tape-recorded message from Hamilton. Your time has come to realize your failure as a player in the game of death. You must understand, Mike, that the price of a player pays for failure in the game of life is death. It's like a dumber uh, saw. Yes. He's like a dumber jigsaw. If Elliot Rogers wrote Jigsaw, <laughs> the character from Saw, that's what it would look like, sound like. Now, after the actual murders of Kitty and Jose Menendez, Craig, the friend who helped write the script, he wore a wire uh, to try to get Eric to confess to the murders under the guise of revising the script. God. God, it's just, it just sounds like two comedians hanging out talking about killing <laughs> yeah. their friends. I mean, think about this. These, uh, Eric Menendez, their parents had been murdered. And so Craig calls up and like, hey, dude, want to work on Friends? He's like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Actually, I have a fantastic new idea for Friends. Uh, and I was thinking what we could do is that Eric saucily removes his shirt in front of the pool boy. And the pool boy thinks he's like, oh, I thought you were as straight as a razor. And I say, oh, but I'm in fact as curly as a pig's tail. <laughs> Seems like we're taking the script in a different direction. It's huh? a revision. Oh. You said you wanted to revise it. Okay. I do want to hear the, the, the lead sheriff. She'd be like, he's innocent. He said he was in the shitter. So that's good. I hope they have that dialogue in there. Well, when they tried to defend the screenplay during the trial, one of Eric's lawyers said, it's just Creative writing. It's, it's just creative, creative writing. writing. Listen, everybody writes stories, all right? In my journal, every single day. Yeah. You wouldn't believe the murders I've described in my journals. All right, how many times? I say I get a crossbow, I'm going to go on a bus, I'm going to shoot people randomly on the bus. I didn't say how many times I'm going to say I, 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 write, I, write, I write down in a piece of paper that I'm going to murder the president with a lasso. <laughs> I created writing, but I think this is just creative writing. This doesn't mean he murdered his parents. I mean, he did murder his That's parents. That's the problem. This, that is, this is not the biggest piece of evidence against them. If he didn't go on to kill his parents, yes. that would mean nothing. And it's the, just the, the first draft. Yes, that's the problem. It would, then it would just be a screenplay. I mean, technically, yes, it is just circumstantial evidence, but it is fairly damning. I'd say. I think if he would have just kept pen to paper and stopped with the shotgun to the brain and. Then everything would have been just fine. Exactly. Instead of doing something destructive, do something creative. And how old was he when he was writing the screenplay? Uh, I think about 15. This is pretty good. <laughs> this is pretty good. It is technically good. I wrote that fa- version of the Phantom of the Opera where the only problem with the Phantom was that he was fat. Oh, <laughs> different Phantom. Oh, Jesus Christ, man. Really? Oh, yes. <laughs> I wrote a full manifesto about how I hated school and I didn't watch, <laughs> I wanted all the teachers gone. But this was pre-9-11, so I got away with it. Yeah. I, wrote I mean, pre-Columbine, uh, rather. I wrote songs about girls I liked. Yeah, so we all wrote really stupid <laughs> shit that wasn't never going to happen. Jenny, you got boobies like jelly. <laughs> mm. Jenny, you got butts like jelly. <laughs> Are you trying to impress me, Marcus? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you I want think... a pickle? It's covered in dirt. I think I'm going to go hang out with Craig. He's been from Beverly Hills. <laughs> now, while we don't know for sure what finally set off the boys and made them decide to murder their parents, Jose's best friend said that their father was thinking about cutting the boys off completely. And of course, this would be a big blow to them financially, but more importantly to their personality type, it would be an even bigger blow to their ego because Lyle Mm. and Eric, classic narcissistic personality types. See, narcissists have extremely fragile egos and get real pissed off when their feelings of self-importance are threatened. And the ego of the Menendez brothers was tied directly to their wealth and taking that away would be taking away Everything that they had. It had that sure. literally was their entire personality. Yeah, it was just rich kids. Yeah, but, but I mean, it wouldn't have been, t- they still would have had a cabinet full of food, a home, uh, a, you know, a, 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 a roof above their heads. No, you, no, you they idiots. Were, they were going to kick them no, out of the house. They would not have Rolexes and fancy shoes anymore. Well, I don't think they'd be poor, though. No, they absolutely, of course they wouldn't so, be poor. Cutting them off means that they only get $100,000 a year instead of $3 million. Right. So, because of their overbearing father who was obsessed with their every move, the brothers had no real self-esteem. And according mm. to my new psychology expert, Christina... Now, you didn't just meet this woman at a bus stop. She sent me an email. Ah. And she is a psychology expert. <laughs> okay. She's a professor, I think. 
Something like Did that. Did you email yourself <laughs> as Christina? Did you put on a wig and answer your own email? Hello, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Marcus. I believe, uh, first of all, I'd like to say that your psychology opinions are spot on. And I also mm. believe that your ripple torso is exactly what I want thrusting over me as I quiver with anticipation. Strange. Anyway, the Menendez brothers were narcissistic personality. Pickle girlfriends just standing and watching you narrate this out loud. <laughs> so, according to Christina, who exists, parents who shield their, <laughs> parents who shield their children from real life experience and consequence produce kids who never move beyond thinking that the entire world revolves around them. Right. Well, this is a very interesting soup, right? Now, this soup is a very I'd say a lime basil based soup. Which the, the idea is that the we're already clinical narcissists, which is a disease. It's yeah, a mental right. illness, and you do you cannot understand perspectives outside of yourself. And then you're not allowed to actually receive any sort of consequences or arrive to any conclusions on your own. Every single thing that's been pumped into your head by your father, they have no concept of reality, mm. which eventually will make them realize that killing their parents is actually not an unreasonable idea. Yeah, mm. exactly. And not only that, but Eric was insanely devoted to Lyle, so much so that one family member said that Eric would follow Lyle to hell even if it meant leaving heaven. Weird. <laughs> I mean, it's just two make-believe places that he would go <laughs> with his brother. Yeah, it's, it's well, a yeah. metaphor. It's I, a metaphor. Oh, it's I a metaphor? It's so he would, he, would follow his, he would follow his brother to Detroit even if they were living in beautiful New York Manhattan. That's what I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> that's yeah. more real. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because of this, Eric was completely disconnected from anyone except Lyle, which made it a lot easier to get him to go along with the plan. May I uh, stipulate something? I know that they did suffer a lot. They, they, their descriptions in the trial of <laughs> sexual abuse are very thorough and very intense. Do you believe, possibly, that Lyle and Eric had a sexual relationship? Uh, that is... I don't know. Somewhat possible. Well, now, you know what? question, does, should... it, does it make everybody hard to <laughs> think of two tight brothers so close emotionally and physically? Maybe helping each other play in tennis, yeah. helping each other with their backstroke. Exactly, or, or fucking each other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a whole genre of porn out there just yeah. about this. On both the straight and the gay side, and if Pornhub is to be believed, it's very popular right now. <laughs> oh, my, Pornhub is off the rails, by the way. <laughs> Maybe, maybe uh, we have a psychologist, Christine. Maybe she could tell us. Christina, tell us, Christina, what do you think about Lyle and Eric's possible sexual relationship? I think that it's possible. This is Christina writing an email, an immediate email. I think it's possible that... No, but oh, maybe. Yeah, we're not being very is, thorough. <laughs> wow, that's a great character, Marcus. We just, you know, Package Detective it. Popcorn. I remember when he was born during the Hot Dog Squad episodes about BTK, and now Christina is born as well. That's <laughs> brother episode. Wow. So the plan itself was fairly simple. Murder Jose and Kitty, make it look like a mob hit, establish an alibi, and inherit the money. Now, the mob hit thing actually worked for them because Jose uh, did have a lot of mob connections. A lot of times he had to come out and specifically say, I have no mob connections. He uh. did this, I forget what he did, this big luncheon with a bunch of other movie producers basically coming out and saying, like, I'm not paying the mob or anything. And they all laugh and applaud it because they're all paying the mob. <laughs> right, right, right. Because at this right, right. point in the early, the late 80s, early 90s, criminal activity. Activity and movie industry were really close because it's a great way to launder your money. Totally. The mafia can throw money into movies really easily, and then it comes out the other side as profit through the movie, and then they can pay him back. It's probably yeah. why they made that Gina Davis-Matthew Modine film. <laughs> yes. They knew it was going to totally tank. So soon before the murder of their parents, Lyle and Eric drove to a big five in San Diego and purchased the shotguns they used in the murder using the idea of their friend Donovan Goodrow. Now, can you imagine... Hmm. What goes through your fucking mind <laughs> that you would give so your your buddy, who's obviously a lizard in human skin, right. your ID to go buy shotguns on on as you? You're a moron. Yeah, I think that, I actually think they stole it from him. He must have. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they stole it, and that we know for a fact. 
fact. And as far as what happened the night of the murder, though, there are many different mm-hmm. versions of what actually happened on August 20th, 1989. For this episode, we'll be going with a combination of a confession Eric made to his screenwriting buddy Craig combined with forensic evidence. Yes, because they also gave, to Dr. Ozil, their therapist, They gave, Eric gave a very thorough confession, but it seems like it was very strained and purposely purposefully left out a lot of details. They both mm. left out a lot of details because they didn't want to really talk about how premeditated this murder was. I do feel like his therapist, if we would see him from the top up, he got a suit jacket on, a nice tie, nice jacket, or nice nice shirt, and then we pan out and we see he's got swimming shorts on and <laughs> <Yes>. sandals. <laughs> he and he, just, he, he has a little sandy patch underneath his uh, desk, so he always feels like he's at the beach. He <laughs> looks like Dr. St- he looks like Steve Brule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. (laughs) So that night, the night of the murders, this is what Eric said. He said he came home to retrieve his fake ID so he could go out bar hopping that night. Rad. And when he came back outside, Lyle was waiting there with the two shotguns. He handed one to Eric and said, let's do it. They walked mm. into the house. And he goes down to start having sex with them. And he's like, no, <laughs> no, 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 So they walked into the house, burst into the living room, and found their parents sitting on the couch watching the James Bond movie, The Spy Who Loved Me, one of the Roger Moore ones. Yes. I would actually put that in the probably bottom of the list of movies I want to be watching while getting shot. I guess so. Top of that list? Little Shop of Horrors. Ooh, that would be kind of fun. Actually, man, that's a really good choice. Thank you. So Lyle immediately fired a shot at his father, destroying the French doors behind him and hitting Jose in the left elbow and arm. The next shot was fired into the chest. Kitty sprung up from the couch and ran down the hall. Lyle turned to Eric and said, Shooter! (laughs) See a beetle? (laughs) Shooter! Shooter! (laughs) Okay. The Prince of Nottingham over here. (laughs) Jurassic Park. Oh, I see. (laughs) He said, shoot mom. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, shoot mom. So Eric trained the shotgun on his mother and hit her in the leg, putting her down to the floor. And as their father lay immobilized on the couch, they put the, they pulled up against him, and I heard that his last words were "Mambo number five. <laughs> I don't think it was Lou Bega again. <laughs> Showed his true colors. He was more Vega than a cashier. I don't know. <laughs> so Lau walked up behind him, pressed the shotgun to the back of his head, and pulled the trigger, blowing a hole in the back of his head the size of a fist. And as a side mm. note, these types of shots in which the muzzle of the gun is pressed directly to the victim's body or head are officially known as contact wounds. Unofficially, the LAPD refers to them as rat holes. Charming. Holy hell, isn't that nice? The LAPD is among the more charming police departments in the United States. Classy. Can't corner the Dorner. I don't know. I just say that sometimes. (laughs) I I was actually saying that to myself the other day, just kind of giggling like, can't do it. (laughs) Man, I want that as a tattoo, can't corner the Dorner. Every single time I feel like I can't can't do something, I'm going to be like, can't corner the Dorner. (laughs) Can't do it. Now, after a Lyle shot to Jose's head, Eric walked over to his mother as she lay bleeding on on the floor and shot her seven more times, including another contact wound to the face. And when police found her, one eye and part of her nose was missing. Now, if you believe Eric, Eric did not actually want to kill his mom. He wanted Lyle. He let Lyle do all the shooting. Again, a very Eric and Dylan uh, storyline where Lyle came in and started firing and it wasn't until it looked like his mom was dead that he decided to shoot her. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that made him the good boy. (laughs) I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and that one eye that was missing, the other eye was wide open when police found her, and the only tooth that hadn't been blown out by the shotgun blast was just dangling from her guns. Oof. And then the brothers then shot both parents in the knees to make it look like a mob hit. <laughs> Oh, so brilliant. Absolutely yeah. the Go dumbest on. thing on the oh, face of the planet. Shoot him in the fucking I remember. All right, now leave the manicotti on their laps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and maybe we could make it look like they get, like they eat some bad sushi. Yeah, let's, yeah, so yeah. Let's order some sushi. They like, got sick. They yeah, got so they, sick. The head's exploded. Food poisoning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Good idea. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then put this hangman's noose down there. Because oh. then it's like the, oh, the, the executioner killer. That's oh, good. no, no, no. The KKK did it. Yeah, they did it. Yeah, make it white. Put a black one and a white one. Put them in blackface? No, 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 no. No, that makes them racist. Okay. <laughs> Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. 
Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. <laughs> so just to establish an alibi, the brothers went to the theater to see, coincidentally, the new-at-the-time James Bond film, Licensed to Kill, starring Pierce Brunson. I always so... have problems with people who love James Bond. Yeah, I, I, I mean... I kind of do, too. It's weird. It. It, it's real weird. I when, don't like James Bond. I, I like either. Jaws. I like some of the, you know, the, the, the main... Ba- one of the main bad guys. Yeah. Jo- uh, oh, you mean the Jaws the villain. The villain, yeah, yeah. I think some of the villains were fun. Yeah, they you absolutely know. were. I like and Q. A- yeah, Q is fine. Yeah. They're all bad. They're yeah. bad. And Austin Powers is great. And Austin Powers th- is funny. Doesn't yeah. happen without James Bond. <laughs> that is true. But when the brothers arrived to watch James Bond, they saw- found that it was sold out, so they settled for seeing Batman for a second time. Oh, man, but Batman man, is so such good. a great movie. What a good, that's Batman. a good summer for movies. Also, UHF came out that year. <laughs> yes, which would have been much creepier had yeah. they seen that for and, some reason. And speaking of UHF, coolest oh, yeah. shit thing, uh, we're going to be playing the Benson Ball in Washington, D.C. on October 29th. Yeah. You know who else is going to be there? Weird Al! Wow. And you know what he's going to be doing? What? He's going to be doing a live commentary on UHF! That's amazing. So I do want to say, this is the last podcast on the left, and every show plugs their shows that they do on the road, and we are plugging our show in between the Menendez brothers murdering <laughs> their, their two parents, parents brutally <laughs> and going to see the film Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Yes. That's now, Weird Al did not kill his parents. <laughs> not right? not he that just we know found of them dead, and, and tragically <laughs> right. so. That's very sad. So after they saw Batman, they then went to their favorite restaurant, the Cheesecake Factory, <gasps> to establish even more of an alibi. Where Eric started freaking out a little bit, so I was like, "All right, let's go back home and make the infamous call to nine one one." Here it is, in part. A prosecutor, Pam Bazanich, had a chance to cross-examine Lyle. She played him the 911 tape. Yes, please. Uh, what's the problem? Sounds, uh, sounds like kill my parents. Pardon me? Sounds like kill my parents. What? Who? Are they still there? Yeah. The people? No, no. And apparently Eric ran to a tree and started bashing his head against a tree in a gigantic theatrical showing of how sad he was. <laughs> so Lyle made the phone call or that was Eric? Lyle made the phone call. Okay, not the actor of the family. No. You should have chosen Eric. But we're going <laughs> to find out that. That was, that, was, that was worse than the acting uh, from the room. Yeah. Consider, what was it? Was so? You're turning me apart, Lisa! Awful. And I think it's very interesting uh, that uh, Lyle is not the actor, but I think Lyle was also more convincing on the stand, too, because as a non-actor, he had to do, he had to build himself up to the point where it was just all over the place. Yeah. He started be, he started being really feeling the emotions and b- being hysterical, but when they asked him logical questions, he couldn't answer anything. He couldn't get a story straight. Right. Eric, you can see the acting. Yeah. Yes. Did I just mishear it, or did he initially say, I killed my parents? No, he said, no. Someone, someone, okay, because it sounded like he said, I killed our, our the I parents. I think it was okay. an Asian. <laughs> I heard them speaking a language, and it sounded Asian. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it would be seven more months before the Menendez brothers would be arrested for the murders, and what would follow would be a media spectacle that we wouldn't see again until the trial of O.J. Simpson. It's unbelievable. Once the media found out that these trials are huge money makers, oh. they just went crazy. They encouraged rich people to kill other people. They <laughs> really did. It, I, I mean, this this is ingrained in my memory. This trial and my parents had a strong conversation about uh, with me about if you if I was upset with them, just come to them. I can talk to them about anything. And then Castle they also there is no way you can overpower your father. If you try to attack your father, I will not hesitate to kill the son. Oh, Dad, I wanted to take some hunter safety. Maybe we can get a gun in the house. No, we ain't gonna get no goddamn sons in the house we're using whips <laughs> okay yeah my parents were very i did take hunter safety and my parents were very hesitant to have a gun in the house and we never did get one thank god especially oh. since you started brushing your teeth with it like you were some cartoon giant yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> oh, well true. that is incredible wow. um, so now part two is going to come up i'm you know what no one is 
nice in this story. Everybody's a piece of shit. Well, well I feel bad for the mother, yeah. quite yeah, frankly. Yeah, of course. I feel bad for the mother. I also... She didn't do anything to help anybody. Well, she could have I mean, not worn sweatpants to the PTA meeting. Thank yeah. you, Kissel. I mean, it, it's very hard for, you know, when you're someone that's in an abusive family yes. with an abusive It's very hard to stand up to somebody like Jose Menendez. It's extremely difficult. Uh, and really, I mean... He was he wasn't sexually abusing them. I believe that. I don't thousand, I don't think he he was I, a well, macho we'll guy. I, he was very very macho. He was he, fucking umbrellas all over the place. He had umbrellas up his ass, he had umbrellas up his pussy. He had a pussy. Well, he didn't have a pussy. Actually, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, well, I think we're pretty sure. I need to look at the autopsy reports before <laughs> I decide whether or not Jose Menendez had a vagina. So you want to I would love to watch you get to the bottom of the JFK assassination. Just be like, I need to see his cock. I need to see his dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but oh, well, well, we'll see in uh, the next episode uh, exactly why uh, those sexual abuse allegations are bullshit. It's very straightforward. It's very easy to tell. There's no evidence. There's n- not only is there no evidence, but you can well, find their crib notes. I mean, it is. Uh, but we'll get into that on the second episode. Yeah. Uh, right now, we just want to thank everybody uh, out in Baltimore, Baltimore for coming rules. out to the shore. On yeah. the, the, coming out to the show on Friday. You guys are fucking amazing. But most of all, I want to thank all of our Patreon subscribers. We fucking hit $10,000. Oh yeah. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys so, so, so very much. This is uh, why we're now we're brought to you by Exxon. <laughs> hey, all right. Thank you, Exxon, for your oil money. <laughs> <laughs> we won't be able to do a, 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 an episode on oil spills, though. No, we that won't, because they didn't have and oh, birds are unnecessary. That's kind of true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you guys uh, so much. Uh, and if anybody else wants to give to our Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash lastpodcast on the left. Any little bit uh, helps us out so much uh, in our lives. And thank you so much to everybody uh, who is given. And if you want to help yeah. us in a way that's extremely free is watch last stream on the left yes. starting on 7.30 Eastern Standard Time on adultswim.com. If you can, watch it live. It mm-hmm. helps us. The numbers, we need the numbers to keep going. We have four more weeks that yep. we're allowed to we're, that we're going to do the show. Um, please allow us to subvert their airways for as long as humanly possible. Yes, and there's nothing standard about it. That's what I always say. <laughs> thank kind you. Of fun. Kind of a thank fun you. thing there. Thank Baltimore you. was amazing. I want to personally thank everyone, even the people who wish death upon me. Yes. Which is very nice. Which is very sad. Very nice. No, it was, it was kind of them. <laughs> and the cowmen were great also thank, thank, thank you Marcus thank you very much the cowmen were wonderful yeah uh, right. and if you want your very own last podcast on the left t-shirt go to capecomedyradio.com slash merch we're actually about mm. to uh, get we just worked out a deal uh, where we're gonna get a whole new merch page an easier way to do everything and we're gonna be able to bring back some of our old t-shirt designs we're gonna be able to put in some new ones uh, you guys cannot <laughs> believe what we've got coming up merch wise it's gonna be some really really cool shit that's it's going to be here in a couple weeks. Because I know people were asking for those huge pint glasses that Kissel drinks on this last stream on the left. Well, yeah. the funny thing was, the first episode, I was uh, it was a huge pint glass, but no one could tell. It just looked normal. <laughs> if you do get this pint glass delivered to your house, it's going to have to come. Three people will have to deliver it. It'll be like you're getting a new mattress. It's like a tub. It's a huge, huge <laughs> glass. Uh, and, of course, uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Marcus Sparks. I'm at Ben Kitzel on Instagram at Ben Kitzel one I'm at Henry's Loves You. I'm at Henry Loves You on mm-hmm. Twitter at Dr. Fantasty on Instagram and follow us on all things for Last Podcast on the Left at yes. LP on the Left. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I did get a message on Twitter today. Said Someone said, listen to my first and last of a very popular podcast, Last Podcast on the Left, and he didn't like that we didn't love Jesus. Oh, so I no. do want to say, though, if you are a person who loves Jesus, that's fine. We we you are very we, we love you too. Do whatever you gotta I do. Don't care. People love the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah, whatever you want. I worship Raphael. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, as you heard at the beginning of the show, oh we're coming to Seattle. We're coming to Portland. This is going to be fucking amazing. Tickets go on sale Friday. Cannot wait to come out to the Pacific Northwest. This yeah. is the coolest fucking thing ever. All right. Hail so, Satan. Hail yourselves. Uh, hail Gain. Hail me. And once again. Magusalations, you fucker, you're a fucker. All right, let's start. Oh, I got a shit in my butt that will come out soon. <laughs> Welcome to this week's <laughs> That's Patreon. Nice. That's a nice way to start, Mark. <laughs> or Henry, what's wrong with you? Welcome to this week's Patreon shoutouts, everybody. Like we said earlier, thank you so much uh, for getting us to $10,000. If you want to hear your name on the uh, Patreon shoutouts at the end of the show, all you have to do is give a dollar or more over on patreon.com slash lastpodcast on the left. Uh, and remember, yeah. if we don't get to your names this week, we got a long list to go through, so keep listening. We'll get 
to you eventually. Henry, start us off. Chris Lewis. You got two first names. Amanda Lancaster. Leslie Rose. Thomas Schumacher. Nedia Moreland. Jessica Elmers. Hail Satan. Adrian Renteria. Brian Williamson. Ian Clopton. Just Nutt. That seems nut. Kind of fun. Josh Nut. Matt Graham. All right, Brass. 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 How do I read? Are Bryce. these names? These are names. And these are attached to entities. <laughs> Letters entities. make sounds, and they all go together to form words. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah. Bryce Laughlin, thank you so much. Mike McCabe, thank you. William Mayhall, Brian Levy, Vandvine, or Vandine. Kind of exciting. Heavy, Heather Countryman. So thank you for your service. Tony Gill, Justin Teal, Pagers. Pagers. Gonna <laughs> win out of style there. Uh, Ricardo, Ricardo Go, Bill Bean, possibly my favorite name I've ever read in my entire life. Bill Bean. Wow. <laughs> it's cute. Yeah, it's, it's adorable. Billy Bean. Billy Bean. As Bill long as Bean. he's not a molester. Don't be a molester. Ryan O'Toole and Holly Wagner. I got Ruth Ann Gallagher. Love women named Ruth yes. Ann. Yes, Ruth Ann. I know Ruth Ann. She's very sweet. Hello, Hail Satan. Uh, Wendy Starr, who is a producer here at Cave yeah, Comedy Radio. Yeah, so not does. only are we not paying her, but now she's going to pay. Now she's paying towards us. It's very strange. Pay to play. <laughs> is that what that is? We've got John DeGiovanni, Casey Clowers, Anamika Vaughn, Jessica Baldwin, Jonah Cutler, Tori Kranz, Jessica Heichel. Strom and John Lashnitz. Ah. Hmm. Amy Carol Payne. Pain is pleasure. Hellraiser. <laughs> Kelly. Kevin Dobish. Caitlin Elizabeth. I think I know you. I think I know who you are. That's and poor. I know where you live. Don't do that. Uh-uh. Hail Satan. Claire. Julian Gayton. Gabriel Cisquerios. Peter Vogt. Tessa Brown. David C. Springer. Hail Satan. Okay, dokie. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to go with Annette MacTaggart. That's a great name. Vince Peretta. Peretta? Okay. Rebecca Eaton. Rebecca Eaton. Marcus, I can't read. Here, just, I can read them. No, I'll, I'll continue. I had a stroke. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, Soon to be dead then. Yes. Rebecca Eakin, Liz Davis, Anna Murphy, Althea Wiley. Of course, we know oh, Althea. Hey, what's yes. going on, girl? Danny Webster. Stephanie Fridley, Hudson Austin, Tom Murphy, and Daniel Hawk. Ooh, Danny Hawk. Now, Desigat Garcia. Sarah Rummel, I know you. Hey, Heil Satan, hello. Hey, Sarah. Jared M. Crockett. Alicia Gerhardt. Emily Kinder. Joshua Alvarez. Sage Morvin, Hail Satan. Mm-hmm. Kate. Bryce Morris. Chris Garment. Lisa Trevino. Sally! Am I crazy? Chris Schmidt. Chris Schmidt. Thank you. Am I crazy or do we have like a lot of German names? A lot of German names. I wonder why. Good people. Good people. (laughs) people Oh, you know what? I want to thank Lou Baga (laughs) and all the girls of Mambo for the five. And lastly, Amanda Fern, Mike Slobodian, uh, Wesley Lipinski, and Brittany Bertner. Yeah, Brittany Bertner. Hell, Satan, thank you guys so much. Honestly, it helps us so much, and it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And we're going to keep on trucking along. We're now literally uh, doing up to three hours of just shows per week now, between live shows, last stream, and the podcast. So we are working harder for the dollar. Holla for the dollar. What? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys so much uh, for giving for everything. Yeah, we're putting out a shit ton of content and the reason why is because you guys are giving to us and the more you give to us the more content we can do so yeah harder our nipples get the fuller our balls get Mm -hmm. i've never had a hard nipple before really yeah (sighs) weird my nipples are pretty much razor sharp all the time yeah (laughs) i had some real hard nipples yesterday well well hail yourselves everybody thank you so much (laughs) and hail game make gustillations everyone for more shows like the one you just listened to go to cavecomedyradio.com